I've never been as nervous about anything in my life. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'd much rather be singing than than talking. Um, can I just um, open this evening with just my favourite wee verse? It has played true to me many times over the years, but no more so than as of late. And it's um, found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. And I, um, I try to live by that wee verse. That promise was given to me a couple of years ago. And I, I've clung to it ever since. And um, <clears throat> I suppose I'll just start off by giving you a bit of background. I'm sure most of the people here know me, but my name is Wendy Coleman. Um, I'm married to Paul Coleman, and we have five wee boys, Levi, Jesse, Jacob, Nathan, and Elijah. Um, I wasn't brought up in a Christian home, so to speak, but my mum and my dad were both backsliders, and they had a very strong moral compass. Um... They sent me to Sunday school and um, I went to church most Sundays. Um, we had the Derry Lee Children's Meeting on a Thursday night. Uh, we had the lifeboat on a Friday night and maybe the odd Wednesday night we went to Bally McGurney as well. We, uh, we just loved the children's meetings and back whenever I was younger, there wasn't as much after school activities like football and swimming and dancing and all the stuff that you have to do with your kids now. Everyone went to the kids' meetings and it was just the place to be. So um, I've had very many happy memories from the children's meetings. Um, loved hearing the Bible stories. Uh, I was a history buff from a very young age and I always loved the history of the Bible. The Old Testament was always a favourite of mine. Um, Sunday school then uh, is where I got saved on Sunday the 14th of November 1993 at eight years of age I asked the Lord to save me and um, I had been listening for for years and understanding for years but never quite made that decision to take the Lord into my heart as my saviour but that Sunday I remember leaving Sunday school with a spring in my step that day and I couldn't wait to get home to tell mum and dad so my school years went by. There wasn't much trouble in primary school. Um, then I went to Kleiner Junior High. Um, and there wasn't, hadn't much problem there either. I met my lifelong friends there, Haley and Lana. And um, I got through those years quite well. Um, there's one thing I, I do notice that I never, I never really sought to make Christian friends. And at that stage, it didn't really create a problem because we were only 13, 14, 15. But um, whenever I moved on to uh, Portadown College, my lack of Christian friends started to become my demise as such. Uh, that 16... 17 mark, everybody was starting to head out to the rugby club on a Thursday night, sitting green in class on a Friday morning, and um, I didn't do it. The still small voice kept talking to me through those years and saying, listen, you know, don't do it. Don't walk away from me here. But all my friends were heading out clubbing, and I was like, I really want to go, but I just could not get that voice out of my head, and I, 
I wouldn't do it. And then um, I was kind of feeling the pinch, all my friends away, and and, and me, me stuck at home at the weekends. Um, so by the time it came round to our lower sixth pharma, the still small voice got ignored, and I headed out to pharma. Now, there's not much I remember about that pharma. The only thing I do remember, Haley, you're laughing, is <laughs> I got absolutely hammered that night. Uh, my first time taking alcohol, I'd never lipped it in my life, and I fell asleep fully clothed in my formal dress in a wardrobe. <laughs> um, I woke up the next morning, I thought I broke my neck, and I got out of the, the wardrobe. Um, such a handling. Uh, everybody had went home like all the other, but me and my friend, her dad had uh, uh, tickets, free tickets for staying in the Europa, and she says, you know, we should just stay. And... Um, I says, yeah, no bother. We stayed, and it's just as well we did, because if I had uh, come home to my mum and dad in that mess, like, that would have been awkward. <laughs> but um, I remember the next day going home in the train and everything. I was never felt as ill in my entire life. And I got home, and I told mum some story about <laughs> having some dodgy for my dinner that night, you know, but she totally knew what the crack was, like, you know. But that, I just said that day, like, why, why do people drink? You know, that, that, this is terrible. And I was never really interested in, in drink ever after that. Uh, I never got drunk again, put it that way. But uh, the Christmas holidays were coming up. That was just before um, the Christmas holidays. They were coming up, and I was just so miserable because all my friends were at club, and this was still bearing down happy in me as a teenage girl. And I remember saying to God, you know, I've let you down so badly here. But will you stick by me, help me through school here, all my friends are away at clubbing, but help help me to stay the course and give me a Christian friend. So it wasn't long after that. He gave me a Christian friend and that Christian friend walked into my life on the 11th of January, 2003. And um, we've been best friends ever since. And that was Paul Coleman. He says to me, you got a double whammy with that prayer. You got a Christian friend and a boyfriend. <laughs> so it was a good result. Paul, um, Paul is that. He's my soulmate. He's my rock. He sees me through every hard aspect that life throws at you. So that was okay. Went on ahead to university, studied history and politics. My plan was to become a history teacher, but... By the time I'd done my degree for three years, I couldn't be bothered going back to uni for another year to do PGCE. And Paul and I decided to get married. I graduated in July 2007, got married in August 2007, and started my full-time job in the Northern Ireland Court Service in September 2007. So straight into charge of divorce. A newlywed and straight in helping people to get divorced uh, for Fermanagh and Tyrone. Uh, life was good. I loved my job. Um, I was ever learning in the courts. It was a very diverse sort of workplace. You got to see a lot, meet a lot of people, uh, good and bad. Um, but it was great. Life was busy. Uh, I was a Sunday school teacher in, in Dungana Free Presbyterian Church at the time. And 
uh, everything was going well. Um, it wasn't long after that till our first child came, came along, Levi, uh, and then the children kept coming along <laughs> after that. Um, at three under three at one stage, uh, life got, got very busy. Uh, it got too busy for me. Uh, I was no longer taking time to pray in the morning when I got out of bed. And before I knew it, I hardly prayed at all. Day or night, uh, I didn't get much time to read my Bible, and therefore my relationship with God was slowly fading into a non-existent one. Um, you can't have a relationship with someone if you don't talk to them. And uh, I was going through the motions. I was continuing on going to church. Anybody looking on the outward said, you know, Wendy's Christian. That didn't change. And if you'd have asked me at that time, you know, are you saved? I'd have said, oh, yeah, I am. But I didn't have a good relationship with the Lord. Um, and if you were able to say or feel my heart, you would say I was cold, well cold at that stage. Uh, everything seemed to get harder and tougher. And at one point, I could barely cope with the full working time hours I was I was doing with four kids, and uh, I was really starting to feel the pinch. So I had asked management and everything, could I go part time, uh, just even to a four day a week to give me that one day's grace in the week. But at, at the time, Dungannon Courthouse had a heavy workload, and it just wasn't feasible for me to do that. And I ended up having a severe anxiety attack one weekend. I thought I was having a stroke. Um, I'd never had this experience before. It was all very surreal. That was in April 2015. Um, so at that stage, I remained off work for seven weeks. And during that time, I was like having an outer body experience. It was very strange. Like I, anyone knows me, I'm a very outgoing type of person and always seeing the positives and things. And at this stage, I was very into myself. I didn't want to leave the house. I was afraid to leave the house. I don't know why. Um, I remember one day my dad called with me during that time I'd been off, and he said to me, he was worried about me, you know, and he says, Wendy, I'm worried about your health, but he says, is everything well with your soul? I was like, oh, no, Dad, I don't, don't want this conversation with you. Do you know what I mean? And I was like, well, Dad, not really. You know, I, I just feel a bit lost at the minute. And he says, well, I'm away here to talk to your heavenly doctor about it. That's what he would have said whenever I was sick or any of us was sick in the house. But he says, I'll be praying that, you know, you sort this out. And see now, after having that conversation with him, see when we sing that song, it is well with my soul. It brings that back every time. Um, and away he went. He went back to work. He came in off his work uh, one day just to speak to me. So I was due to start back to the work on, on the Monday, the 8th of June. But tragedy struck our family on Saturday, the 6th of June, before I got back to work. My dad had went out with Paul and my brother Denver, on a charity cycle, and he never returned home. God had called him into eternity at the age of 53. The shock was immense. Our hearts were broken. People would have said things like, at least you know where he is. My daddy was a well-saved man, and um, people meant well. 
They never meant any ill by that. Other people would have said, you know, he was ready. But to me, it did not make that easier at all. And sometimes I just didn't want to hear it as well. And I was deeply hurt because, and I I think I was deeply hurt with God at the time. Um, I was just, I couldn't accept why he took my dad at such a young age. And I would find myself, and I used to say to mummy, I'd be going around town, you know, and I would meet people who I knew were alcoholics and people I knew who were morbidly obese and all older, much older than my father. And I used to say, you know, why, why did you take my dad? And at a time when the likes of my mother and others turned to God for comfort, I felt that I I shunned him further. Any time I did talk to the Lord, it was only to ask why. Why my dad? And um, I had begun to let my... I had begun to let this kind of grief make me a bit bitter. Soon the grief was was starting to become my vulnerability in, in life overall. So I was off work for three months after Dad passed. The days were long. And the nights were longer. One particular night, I woke in the middle of the night and felt almost like I was being choked in in my bed. And I couldn't understand what was wrong with me. And I went downstairs. Um, it was the most surreal thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, I'll never forget it. But instead of reaching out for the water bottle, I remember lifting a, a wee tomato knife that was sitting on the bench. And these thoughts, thoughts that some, I would never, ever have entered my head, came into my head, your husband doesn't love you. Uh, your children would be better off without you. If you weren't here, they wouldn't even notice. All this nonsense that I, looking back, would say it was. And I remember just in complete state of just not, it was like an outer body experience. Didn't know what was going on here or what was happening to me. And I remember lifting that knife and I ran the blade over my arm. And I could feel the pain. And the voice said that you deserve to feel that pain. And I remember I fell asleep on the sofa in the dining room that night and Paul came down to me the next morning. And he was like, did you sleep all here all night? I said, yeah. But I went and got dressed and never spoke nothing about it or whatever. Um, this wee verse, when I was trying to write this all together, came into my head. Ephesians 6, verse 12. says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I never, ever knew what really that meant. And it wasn't to some time later when I had heard pastor here speaking on it when I realized yeah that is totally true I've had that experience because I used to sit in the courtrooms looking at families who were breaking up and issues with the children some of the children self-harming and they'd have been referred to CAMS and all the rest and I remember coming in the office and they said Louise and the staff you know that's terrible about that wee child or whatever and here I was doing this and I remember after a few days later the shame 
that hit me and why this had happened. I just did not know where I was or what was happening. I was so confused and in a bit of a state, but I had to maintain my composure for family life, for everybody around me. Like, you wouldn't want anybody knowing that you'd done something like that. But hiding that all and keeping that all inside was going to come to a head at some point. Um, I met Louise in work one day. Louise worked with me in the courts, and um, she happened to lean across the table, and I had stretched my arm out, and she'd seen the marks on my arm. She said, what happened to your arm? And I just brushed it off and said, oh, I scraped it off the brick wall at the house, beside the wheelie bins, you know, something like that. And I seen her looking at me, you know, but I just lifted my files and went to court out of the road. But all through that court, I could hardly have told you what happened. Um, I was sitting and the court was over, resulting in my cases, and uh, I just broke in front of the desk. And I emailed Louise and I said, could you come round? So she came round to me and uh, she says, what's wrong? And I just burst into tears and told her everything that had been going on about all this anxiety, all this, these things that were happening to me. I was like, what, what is going on with me? And she just looked straight into my eyes and she says to me, Wendy, it's the devil. She says, you're extremely vulnerable now with your grief. We've seen how you're going and he's using your vulnerability against you. And I was sitting thinking, this, I'm too strong for that to happen to me. Surely not, you know. But Louise encouraged me that day. She sat with me and she talked with me and um, she gave me a hug and she says, listen, you need to sort it. You need to act on it now. So I did act on it. First thing, of course, I'd done was spoke to Paul about it and, and he agreed with Louise. He says, it's the devil attacking you. You're not strong now. You're not reading your Bible. You're not in a good place with the Lord. You don't have his protection. And... Um, my family members were encouraging me to see this. You know, it's not easy to tell someone that. But um, my mum had come to me one day and she says to me, I was reading the paper and I seen a grief share uh, organised in Thomas Street Baptist Church in Portadown. She says, I think that would do you the world of good, you know. And I remember taking it off her going, well, it would do you the world of good too, you know, why don't you come? But um, she was just being a mum being helpful, and uh, Paul, I brought it home to Paul, and I says, would you come to that with me? I'm not going there on my own, I don't know anyone there. And he's like, no, I'll go with you. So we went, and I can honestly say it's one of the best things that ever happened. That we church, like they didn't know me from Adam, I just walked in, and um, they went through the whole grief share process. You sort of watched a DVD of this couple who had been through the whole grief process, and they were sort of explaining to you the stages of grief that you were going to go through. And I was sitting going, yeah, that has happened. And, you know, Paul and I were quite mesmerized by it, by how effective and how on point they were about the whole grieving process. Um, the bit that worked really hit me was I was a grieving mother. I had lost my father, but I was trying to not grieve too much in front of my children or whatever. And it was brilliant. It was a great wee Christian outreach that they had there. And it was open to anybody. And I had made some lovely friends there. And the, the, the Christian love that those people shown will always stay with me. Um, 
it's a, it's a lovely ministry, especially because I find sometimes in the churches, people just don't know what to say when someone's grieving. They don't know how to help them. And sometimes avoid them because they're like, oh, I don't know what to say to her, so I'll just avoid them. And these people had really got it on point. They were really, they were in there and they were prepared to help somebody get through this process. So I was lifted up by these people. Um, things were getting better. I was starting to feel better within myself. My relationship with God was starting to build that wee bit more. Um, but I had lost my song. And I couldn't take singing Brickens anymore or anything like that. It just People had been ringing me and I could, just couldn't do it because any time I tried to sing, I just cried. So um, I just thought, you know, Lord, just help me through this and we'll get there eventually. So July 2016, um, I woke up one morning with severe tingling in my hands. And I was dropping everything. Paul never got his lunch made that morning. Um, I was dropping the knife and the butter all over the place. And I just thought, well, I've lay on my hands funny or whatever. But um, it never went away. Um, I was also at the time getting burning sensations in the backs of my legs. Um, and I was walking over the floors. I kept checking that the floors weren't wet because I felt like I was walking through water on the floor. And basically felt that I was losing the plot because I was constantly checking for wetness on the floor and there was never nothing there. Um, so all these sort of weird symptoms led me to go to the doctor to say, you know, what is going on? And um, I was exhausted, just 24-7. I had went to the doctor three times to get my iron checked, convinced I was low on iron and I never was any of the times. So they referred me to neurology and I was to await an MRI appointment. Meanwhile, mum had been saying to me that there was a mission coming off in Waigasha, um, and Pastor Ken Davison was going to be preaching at it. And she's like, I, re- I, I would like you to go to that mission with me some night. And I was like, yeah, yeah. But I was so tired and everything at the time. I was like, I really can't be bothered. And I made up some excuse every night that I wasn't going to go. And I managed to dodge the entire mission. <laughs> so um, <laughs> she... Um, she then came to me and said, Mum's relentless, I shall not give up. She came to me and she said, um, listen, I was talking, I've got to know that man, Ken Davison, and he's actually going to call with me. And I says, right, that's, that's great. I thought this was really strange because I was like, well, you don't go to his church. Why does he want to call with you for? I thought this was strange. And she says, will you come up? You know, the night he's coming over. And I was like, right, right, okay, I'll see so she went on about it anyway and says, I really think you should come up. I said, right, Mum, I'll come up. So um, I remember walking in thinking, you know, why am I even coming in here? Like, who is this man, Ken Davidson? doesn't know me and I don't know him, you know. What is this? But whenever I went in, he was, he'd been chatting to my mum and everything and uh, he told me his story um, about how he lost his two sisters in a wake of each other and lost his dad a year later and he told me of how how low he had hit you know and it really struck me because I was like goodness you're a pastor and he says yeah we're all human he says this this is not this happens and he chatted to me and he talked to me and the tears that flooded for me that night weren't normal I'm sure he thought who have I met here this creator is 
just complete nutcase. But I was so, I was just, I think, desperate for someone to tell me that I was okay and that I wasn't a complete basket case, do you know what I mean? So um, after chatting to Ken that night, he prayed, because he, he was aware of the, the diagnosis that I was waiting, and he prayed healing over me that night, and um, I came home and I said to Paul, you know, that man, he showed so much Christian love, I, I can't, I just can't get over him, you know? And I says, like, we're not, we're not of his congregation, he wasn't there to get us to go to his church, you know. I just can't believe somebody would go out of their way to be so helpful. And um, that struck a chord with me that night. So then diagnosis came, December 2016. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. It's a neurological condition that affects the central nervous system, the brain and the spinal cord. Um, initially, I was really devastated about this. Uh, you automatically think multiple cirrhosis and the wheelchair seems to come out in the same sentence. But through time, researching the, the, the condition and getting mentally adjusted to the idea, um, taking time to let it sink in, I started to thank God every day that it was MS and not a type of cancer. Um, I've lost friends and loved ones cancer and I was just so thankful that I had this condition instead of one that was going to take my life. Um, I was still able to be with my husband and my children, albeit I mightn't be exactly the same person I was three years ago, but I'm still here. Uh, in May 2017, CET opened its doors here. And we decided when the boys had finished Sunday school in our, in our old church that we would start coming here just to see how we got on. Um, we've been here ever since. Uh, I have learned so much from our pastors here. And I've truly encountered Christ. Um, from coming here, I have learned that you can't just walk about saying you're a Christian and going through the motions, singing your hymns, saying your prayer, and going away out the door again and continuing on with life. That's just not how it works. Um, I think... Since I've come to CET, the thing that I've learnt and the most is how to deepen my relationship with God, how to make my walk closer with Him. And um, that has made me all the stronger. Uh, whenever I'm faced with any adversities that come my way, I, I'm, I'm fully equipped to deal with those now. Um, whereas before, because I had left God out of everything and tried to take everything on board myself, tried to sort out my own I'm a bit of a control freak like. But I was trying to fix everything and I was trying to work the full time hours and be the mum to four kids at the same time. I was had all these plans for me and I never once considered is that God's plan for you? Um when the diagnosis came it brought me to my knees. And you often hear that God will bring somebody to their knees to get them to rely on him and to lean on him, and he did that with me. Um, whenever I was first diagnosed, about a year later, I had major relapse. Um, it was severe. It was, I lost power in my legs. Uh, anytime I do relapse, it seems to be a recurring theme that I lose the power in my legs. You would see me here maybe the odd time in crutches or whatever. Um, but my bladder stopped functioning. 
the nurses were telling me I was going to have to start self-catheterizing, which absolutely traumatized the life out of me. I had four children, but self-catheterizing was really... They gave me a DVD, and I've never watched it yet. <laughs> um, my bowel wasn't functioning. Everything was starting to break down. My brain fog, the brain fog got that bad where I had to stop work because obviously the job that I was doing, you couldn't afford to make mistakes in. And I was very aware of that and the stress of knowing that and then making the mistakes. It was like a vicious circle and I just had to stop. And um, whenever I left work, um, I thought, like, I'm signing off here for a month. I get a bit of rest under me. I'll be back. But God had other plans. Um, the MS was very active at the time. I wasn't responding very well to the first treatment that they put me on. More lesions were appearing on the brain, each scan that I had. So that was confirming the MS was ever more active and the treatments weren't doing their job. And my only solace in life was the Lord. I just thought, you know, you've brought me to a place now where I am solely dependent on you here. Um, nobody's going to fix this for me. Um, I remember going up and I remember saying to Ken about the whole bladder thing. I was up to Hido about that. <laughs> and he says, like, come up for prayer. And I came up for prayer and um, I was like sort of waiting to see whether I'd be healed or whatever of this bladder issue. And I fell pregnant. <laughs> and in 2018, during the pregnancy, things improved dramatically. The bladder issues completely disappeared. The nurses called off the self-catheterization and all the rest. I was loving life. It was full of energy. I was back to the old me again, um, doing everything I wanted to be able to do. And um, the consultant had said to us that Pregnancy is fantastic for MS. It basically just cuts it off. So um, I call our Elijah my remarkable man because he gave me nine months of bliss. Um, but unfortunately for me, it doesn't happen everybody, but unfortunately for me, it, uh, the MS uh, came back about a couple of months after he was born. And just all the old, all the damage that's already been done in the brain and stuff has all... Uh, just all came back to the fore again. It sort of all hit me at once. I was like, all of a sudden, back to not being able to do X, Y, and Z. And it's a mental thing, getting your head around that. You know, your body not allowing you to do stuff that you're used to doing. Um, meanwhile, during the pregnancy, we had bought a building site because, obviously, our ever-increasing family was really outgrowing our wee house in Annockmore. And Paul says to me, I was still off on the sick, still in limbo land, not knowing what was happening with my job, convinced that I was going to get better in my own head and that I'd be back. Meanwhile, HR from work were on my back saying, listen, you need to make decisions here or we're going to make a decision for you. And then we bought the house and, or the site and all in the middle of it. And Paul came in to me one night and he says, uh, I'm just going through finances and stuff we are going to have to sell this house to build, to finance the build. And I was like, right. And uh, he says, I was thinking of getting a caravan and putting it on the site. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness. 
four kids and a baby in a car van. It's like, I know. So away I up to the bedroom, down to my knees, and I was like, Lord, I don't know what your plan is or what, but you cannot send me to a car van <laughs> with them kids on a building site. Absolute nightmare. And I prayed, and I prayed hard, um, because I really was feeling it, I, um, uh, just even mentally, you know, dealing with that. And I, I thought, my goodness. And I knew we needed to sell our house because of our financial situation. I was out of work, and Paul was the, the breadwinner or whatever. So I prayed, and I prayed hard. And the next day, uh, about three days later, um, I got a phone call from a guy that works um, kind of from like the welfare end of the civil service. And he was saying, listen, there's a letter here saying that they're going to suggest medical retirement to you. And it sort of hit me like a knife because I was like, goodness, I love my job. And I wasn't really ready to accept that I was going to have to medically retire at the age of 33. And... Um, but the whole caravan thing was in the background, and it was like, do you know what, Wendy? <laughs> Just take the medical retirement. Um, this is God answering your prayer here, you know? So we got through it. Um, it was a bit of a process, as these things are. Um, I had to run up and down, meetings to Belfast and all the rest, sorting it all out, and eventually they came back to me and they said, listen, we've seen the scans, we've seen the condition of your brain you're very much entitled to your medical retirement pension. And I said, Amen. No car van for me. <laughs> so my pension came through, and that was solely how we were able to live on in our house in Annockmore and build the house at the same time. And to me, you know, that mightn't seem as a big deal, you know, to a lot of people, but to me at the time, that was just like the hugest deal ever. And it was a very real reflection that, you know, I had nowhere to turn to here. I had nowhere to go. There was nobody going to help me in that situation, only God. And the fact he answered my prayer the way he did, part of me didn't want to accept the, the medical retirement. But the other part of me was saying, listen, this is God working for you. And you do accept it. So... I believe that God uh, has been my rock and my fortress through this last three years, through the diagnosis stage, through the whole getting your head around what's going on, learning about your condition, learning what you can do to help your condition, what you shouldn't do with your condition. And um, I don't let the MS define me as a person. Um, I still get up in the mornings and do everything I have to do. Um, I want to be an active and fit mother for my boys. And I don't want them ever to have to say, oh, mum was in bed all the time or mum was resting all the time. I want to be as healthy and as fit as I can for them. But I only do that and get that strength to do that from the Lord. I could never do that on my own merit. Because there are days where you wake up and you just think, oh, I have to start the day. But I talk to God first. And see a day when I don't talk to the Lord, that day never goes right. And I used to hear a man saying that years ago, thinking, aye. But it's so true. The day that I don't talk to the Lord, there'll be some sort of handling going on in my life. But um, the MS is still here. The lesions have now increased to 11 in total. Uh, most of them are on the brain. So that's why I get so much uh, 
cognition problems and sometimes if you're talking to me and I, I don't look like I'm actually listening, it's just, it's, it's not really my fault. <laughs> don't be cross with me. Um, Paul cracks up sometimes because he was telling me things at home and I'd be like looking at him as if he has ten heads and he's just like, oh. you know, he actually said to me the other day, it's really frustrating talking to you and I was like, thanks. But um, we're dealing with it and God has it. I have just left it with the Lord now. I am not worrying about it. Um, at the very start, I would have worried day and night about it, worried about my future, what was it going to do to me. I don't worry about it now at all. I leave it all in his hands. Um, I go in every six months for treatment. I'd be hooked up to a drip, and it runs through me for about six hours. And so far, so good. The treatment's working well. I'd prayed to God for that end, that the treatment would work well. Uh, I believe God will heal me in his own time. I believe in God's healing power. But I also believe that he's maybe using my witness in places like the MS Society and the MS Trust. I've met so many people this past two years who are very lost in their condition, in the mental state of their dealing with their condition. Um, A lot of people whose mobility is far worse than mine um, people who depend on aids and um, walking aids and wheelchairs to get around, and those people are getting life very tough. And I've had and I've had great openings. I've had great chance to tell people uh, about the Lord. People often ask me in the MS Society, you know, where do you get the energy from? And I'd say, well, I would love to tell you from a tablet or whatever. But I says I I put it all down to the Lord. He's the only one that keeps me going. And um, I believe that God's maybe going to use me in that field for a while before he seeks fit to heal me. But I always come to him expecting. Whenever I go for prayer or at any stage, I always come expecting. Um, If you take anything from my testimony tonight, please know that God is very real. He's not an imaginary figure that you hear about in RE at school or you've heard about in Sunday school. He's a very real entity. Um, If you're a Christian, I would say keep close to him. Don't shut him out like I did because that's when trouble comes. And the devil is always at the door. He's always ready to attack. And you have to gird yourself up with your whole armor to be prepared to stand against the evil one. Um, If you don't know Christ as your saviour and you're not a Christian, uh, I can honestly say from the bottom of my heart you don't know what you're missing. Um, And it's my prayer tonight that you'll accept Christ as your saviour. Thanks for listening.